These are the daily lectionary comments for January the 21st. You're going to begin a brand new book in the Old Testament, Joel. Joel's a short book. We're going to begin in uh, chapter 1, and then we're going to look at a very famous and important chapter in Romans, Romans chapter 10. Okay, the prophet Joel. We've got three chapters in the, in the prophet Joel. A um, couple things to say about this uh, little book. Number one is we don't know when it was written. Some people date it very early, among the earliest of the prophets. Some uh, date it pretty late, among the latest of the prophets. Um, but Joel itself gives you no indications. When you read Isaiah, uh, Isaiah tells you right at the very beginning. So there's Jeremiah, so there's Ezekiel, when, when they prophesied. Most of the prophets do, although not all of them. They'll tell you what kings, uh, which kings' reigns their, their ministry coincided with. And they'll also give you other uh, you know, by uh, or either biographical or or historical information, so that you know what they're talking about. Joel doesn't, and uh, but but it's really not important because Joel's message uh, it it really wouldn't help you if you knew exactly what historical thing he was talking about. He's really talking about something more uh, uh, general than that. Uh, not so much a a historical thing but the kinds of historical things that happen over and over again. So that's Joel. Uh, second thing uh, is that when you think of the book of Joel, think of locusts, because that is the, the dominant image uh, in uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 is, is locusts, a plague of locusts. And a plague of locusts in the ancient world was a very fearsome thing. The locusts would come and they would devour the crops. I mean, all of it. And there are several different kinds of locusts, which Joel refers to, each one, uh, causing their own unique kind of horrifying damage. But essentially what they would do is they would devour all the crops if they came, uh, you know, and, and so without crops, I mean, shortly after that would follow famine and, and mass starvation. It was, a, it was a terrifying thing. Now, Joel describes this plague of, of locusts that is coming. Uh, on Israel. It says, what the cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts have eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the hopping locusts have eaten. What the hopping locusts left, the destroying locust has eaten. Has such a thing happened in your days or the days of your fathers? Um, different kinds of locusts uh, doing different kinds of things. But the point is really clear. Um, between all these different locusts, everything is wiped out. Now, the question that scholars often debate is, is Joel really talking about locusts? Or is he really talking about a human invasion? He refers to this locust like it's, it's a, a great uh, a nation uh, that has come up against the land. So if you look at, at verse um, 6, it's, he calls it a great nation. But of course, you know, it, it appears that he's, he's just speaking of the locusts as though it's a great nation, although they are insects. But then some said, well, wait a minute. Um, perhaps what, what Joel is really talking about is an invading army. <coughs> of course, Isaiah was concerned about this. Jeremiah, all the prophets were concerned, particularly about either the Assyrians, if, if um, uh, Joel was written earlier, uh, the Babylonians, if Joel was written later. Uh, what he's talking about is a, a plague and a swarm of a foreign land of such size and such strength that they're passing through the land will wipe everything out, much like locusts do. So um, is he talking about locusts? Is he talking about an invading army? 
um, is he talking about locust, locusts, but the locusts really signify a, an invading army? Were there really any locusts at all? Or maybe, uh, you know, what, was there an actual plague of locusts? And, and Joel is using the plague of locusts to speak of uh, uh, another kind of plague that is coming, uh, an invading army? Or was there never any plague of locusts? He's just conjuring that up for the imagination because what he really wants to do is talking about an invading army. Question, does it matter? Does it matter whether there was a real plague of locusts uh, but, uh, uh, and, or not? If there was a real plague of locusts, is that not disaster enough to call people to repentance? Do, does it need to refer to an invading army for, for a prophet to be able to use this kind of a disaster? Uh, to indicate that God is calling us to repentance. Um, if there was a real plague of locusts, is it not completely reasonable that a prophet should look at the plague of locusts and say, the Lord is calling you to repentance, <clears throat> but at the same time also uh, say, essentially, repent or worse thing than this can happen to you, a, a an invading army? doesn't really matter. Uh, essentially, what, what Joel is talking about are the kinds of plagues, human or natural, that come upon Israel and why God should allow such things at all. And the answer to that uh, is, uh, is, begins in verse 13. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Um, not just the priests, but the priests on behalf of all the people. Consecrate a fast call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. We use these words on Ash Wednesday, for example, a wonderful call to repentance. And that's the point of, of Joel. Joel is using either a, an actual plague of locusts or uh, the, the, a pending uh, invasion or, or an actual invasion of an army, metaphorically or actually, it doesn't matter. Uh, these things happen to Israel because Israel has sinned against God. And God sends such plagues because the people have not been faithful. And they are, first and foremost, not a punishment, but first and foremost, a call to repentance. And so such things are today as well. Bad things happen, and they are not, first and foremost, a punishment. At least not for those who survive. For those who survive, they are, first and foremost, a call to repentance. Whether it is a plague of locusts or an earthquake or a war uh, or a crime wave or an economic downturn or whatever it happens to be, um, such things happen. God is getting our attention and calling us to rely upon him and to recognize that when disasters strike a land, um, uh, uh, that, that God is getting our attention and they strike the land precisely because people have not clung to their Lord and have not been faithful to him. Okay, so that is Joel chapter 1. All right, Romans chapter 10. Uh, Paul is now going to discuss exactly what has happened with uh, Israel, and he's going to discuss another aspect of whether this is fair or not. He's already said God has made, and God is, can make his sovereign choice, but here he's going he's gonna to go at this from a little bit different angle. First off, he points out right away that Israel's problem is not a lack of zeal. Okay? They, they have zeal. Paul himself was an example before he came to faith of zeal for the Torah. But 
what he's saying is there's there's different ways of approaching and using zeal and this zeal is without knowledge the kind of zeal that he used to have was without knowledge and in order to demonstrate that what they what israel was called to do first and foremost was to believe he goes to the torah of moses itself now once again the, the confusion here is that torah meaning instruction of the lord or the books of moses is also uh, typically translated law but law also means commandments and things to do so the torah of moses contains commandments things that we're to do but it also contains a wealth of promises and encouragements and these are not things that one does but things that one believes so uh he he, he starts talking it, first off this whole situ, uh, this whole section is based upon deuteronomy chapter 30 beginning at verse 11 okay so <clears throat> Moses is calling the people in this section of Deuteronomy, uh, part of the Torah, to faith, to believe. And he's pointing out that the things that, that, that God has given the people to do are not too hard for them. Okay? In the Torah, we have commandments and things to do. What do you do with commandments? Well, you obey them. You're also given encouragements and promises from God and representations about what he's done and, what, and who he is to you. And what do you do with those things? You don't do them. You don't obey them. You believe them. That's what you do. Now, he says it's not hard. Moses himself says it, it's not, this is not hard. Nobody has to go to the ends of the earth. Don't say to yourself, who shall go to the ends of the earth? Who shall go up to the heavens to get it and bring it down so that we may do it? This, this is not a matter of needing some heroic person. Uh, uh, in order to be saved, we need a heroic person to accomplish this uh, for us. It, look, he says, the word of God is near you. It's on your lips and in your heart. This is Moses speaking in in. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That's what uh, Moses says. And, and um, Paul quotes that in verse um, in verse eight. And then he makes the Christian application and he goes on to say, if you confess with your mouth, this word that 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 is in in your mouth, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The word is something that you believe. He's talking about the word of promise. You believe it, uh, and 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 you confess it with your mouth. Um, for, for the next verse says, "For with the heart one believes and is justified." So, with the heart you believe and trust the word when he says, "I will save you," and with the mouth you call upon God to save you. He's not actually meaning necessarily opening your lips and say something as though God wouldn't wouldn't realize that you're calling upon him unless you did that. He's just saying that if God says, uh, whoever calls upon me, I will save. Okay, well, with your heart, you believe that. If you don't believe that, you won't call upon him. But if you do believe that, you will call upon him. So with the heart, you believe. God forgives you. God comes into your life and justifies you. And with the mouth, you call upon him, and he rescues you from every trouble. Um, and look what it says. According to the scripture, uh, verse uh, 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's quoting the scripture again. In fact, he's quoting Joel chapter 2. We haven't gotten to that yet, but we will shortly. 
So in Joel is talking about when the Holy Spirit is poured out and then the, when the end times comes, it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Paul is saying, well, those are the days that we're in right now. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, then the question is, how does one call upon the name of the Lord? Okay, so you hear this promise, I will save you, just call upon me. I'm promising here to be with you. Um, and, and so once you hear that promise, faith becomes possible. Without a promise from God, there's nothing to believe in. There's nothing to trust. There's nothing to rely upon. If God never said, I will save you, uh, if you'll just call upon me, then, then calling upon God it, uh, offers no assurance. He never said any one thing or another about that. But since God has offered these promises to us, when our hearts believe it and trust in it, then we actually do call upon the Lord and he comes to us. This is why, he, and he goes through the process. Well, how can anybody do that? How can anybody call upon a God they've never believed in? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how, they, how can they hear of him if nobody ever tells them? And then he gets to this. Verse 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So what he's saying is, this is how faith works. You cannot trust in God's promises until you hear God's promises. Okay, so the, the, the thing with righteousness, the righteousness of God is not doing commandments so that God will declare you righteous, but it's a matter of hearing the word. And once one hears the word, it is possible to believe it and trust it and be saved. That's why he says faith and therefore salvation comes from hearing, hearing about Christ. Now, then after that, he goes on to talk about how Israel has certainly heard. The Gentiles have heard and Israel has heard. It's not as though God did not tell Israel and never, uh, uh, and never issued these promises to Israel. What happens, though, is too many of the, or many of the Israelites, many of the Jews, rather than trusting in God's promises for faith, they attempted to secure a righteousness by being good people. And that's where they trip up. Because then when Christ comes, they don't see Christ as a, a way to righteousness. They don't see in him a, a path to God because they are trying to earn their own path to God. And Christ becomes for them a stumbling block because Christ is essentially offering to them freely what they are trying to earn. So uh, Romans chapter 10 is a very powerful uh, section of scripture also for us Christians where we realize that it is the proclamation of the gospel, it is hearing the gospel, it is believing the gospel, which is the means by which one enters into the righteousness of God. It's how we are rescued from, from the reign of sin and death and brought into the righteousness of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So biblical faith, saving faith, is not a matter of believing things, believing whatever. It is a matter of believing God's promises that he's made to us on account of Christ. That is saving faith, and that only becomes possible when one hears the promises and the word about Christ. Thus the need for evangelism, and thus the need to remain close to the word of God.